making her way down now. I'll ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Uh, we've been looking at this particular passage the last several weeks as um, we've continuing our verse-by-verse exposition of 1 Peter, and where Peter gives us this section of text and meant to give us a perspective, um, or rather to help us retain perspective in our life as followers of Christ. Because there's so many things that we deal with day in and day out and week in and week out that serve to distract us from our primary purpose as followers of Christ. You see, Christ has saved us for a purpose. He has saved us to glorify His name. He has saved us to serve Him. He has saved us for a relationship with Him. And so Peter is reminding the believers that he's writing to that are, that are undergoing increasing persecution. He's trying to help them retain perspective and helping them to understand that everything that they're dealing with, everything that's a distraction, everything that's a difficulty is only temporary and that they need to keep their eyes focused on the eternal. And so he begins in, in verse number say, verse, excuse me, verse number seven by saying the end of all things is near. And uh, he's not not trying to scare them. He's not trying to to be all gloom and doom. He's trying rather to encourage them, to let them know your difficulties are only temporary. Christ is coming again. And because Christ is coming, Peter gives exhortations to the church, exhortations to believers in how they are to respond and how they are to perform, if you will, in light of that reality of Christ's return. It's a theme that is repeated throughout the letter and as Peter comes back to once again in these verses. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning in honor of the reading of God's most holy word. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Gracious Father, I pray now as you have called me to speak your word this morning, that I would do so in reverence to the holiness of your word, 
that by Your Spirit, Lord, that You would keep me from error and give me the strength to explain and apply these truths to Your people. And I pray that You would open all of our hearts to receiving these truths, that we might be conformed to the very image of Christ, so that You might be glorified in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So as we look to this text this morning, I just kind of rem- remind you a little bit about where we've been and uh, what these exhortations are that Peter has been, been giving to us. First of all, he starts off in, in uh, verse number 7 telling us that be- the end of all things is near. Therefore, what are we to do? We, are to, what? we need to pray, right? We need to pray purposefully. We need to pray with a clear mind. We need to understand our circumstances, not be um, discouraged, not be dismayed by our circumstances, but to, with a clear mind about what's going on around us and who Christ is and what He's done for us, we need to approach the throne of grace with confidence and with expectation and so that we can grow in our relationship with the Lord. We need to pray purposefully. And then in verses number 8 and 9, he tells us that we need to love intentionally. That we need, we need to fervently seek out and purposefully love the brethren. We need to love the church. We need to express attitudes of service towards one another, encouragement toward one another, not forsaking others, but seeing others as more, more important than ourselves. We are to continue fervently in love for one another because of what Christ has done for us. Because Christ forgave us. Because He wiped away our sins. Because He made us whole in the sight of God. We also need to be loving and forgiving towards other believers, towards those around us, towards those in our lives. We need to overlook their sins even as Christ has overlooked ours. Love covers a multitude of sins. But love is also demonstrated in our hospitality and caring for those maybe we don't know that well. Sometimes, you know, it's really easy for us to love those that we know and those that love us back. But it's difficult to love those we don't know or to love those that hurt us and offend us. But yet we're called to love all people in the name of Christ, showing the love of Christ by loving them. And then in these final verses, verses 10 and 11, we are told that we need to serve faithfully. We are to pray purposefully, love intentionally, and to serve faithfully. Let's look at these verses again. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Paul has repeatedly brought to light throughout this letter the necessity of serving Christ in the midst of difficulty. 
these people that Peter's writing to, it's not just that they're having a hard time at work. It's not just that their kids have been sick and they're tired. It's not just that finances are tight and they're trying to figure out what's going on. These people have been, many of them, uprooted from their homeland, have been relocated to a different place because of persecution. And persecution has followed them to where they are and is increasing. Some of their loved ones have been taken away, have been fed to the lions, have been burned in Nero's gardens. These people are suffering. And yet Peter continues, first of all, to encourage them about whose they are in Christ, to let them know of the promises of God that they are given in Christ and of their eternal home in heaven and, and the assurances of God's word, but then also to remind them that he says, basically, I understand all these difficulties that you're facing, but God has saved you for a reason. Christ came to redeem you so that you might honor and glorify him. So don't be distracted by your difficulty, but be focused on your service. Be focused on your service. I think Peter's instruction here in many ways echoes the words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.4. There Paul reminds us, or reminds Timothy, he says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. When Christ saved us, he enlisted us in his army. We are soldiers of Christ. That's what he has called us to. And we're not to be entangled in the concerns of this world in order that we might be pleasing to him. Our primary concern should be to pleasing the one who gave his life for us, not to seek our own way and our own purposes and to try and get the most for ourselves, but rather to follow Christ's example. For he came not to accomplish his own will. He came to accomplish the will of his Father, which led him to willingly and freely surrender himself to the wrath of men and the wrath of God for our sakes. And he did that to, in order that he might reclaim us, that he might put his hand of approval on us and draw us into his family in order that we might represent him. God, through Jesus Christ, calls us into his service in order that we might know him and that we might serve him. He came to honor his father. And he has asked us to do the same. To give our lives to his purposes. To set aside those concerns and pursuits which are only temporary and cannot truly satisfy. But to focus our attention on the things which are eternal. And the things which will satisfy, truly satisfy the longings of our heart as we exalt Christ and serve Him. And in these verses, we see really three primary instructions related to our service. First, in verse 10, he tells us, he gives us a mandate to employ God's grace. He says, each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every believer, at the moment of salvation, is given the Holy Spirit. And in receiving the Holy Spirit, we are also given gifts from the Spirit 
for the purpose of serving the body of Christ, that is, the church. So he gifts us supernaturally for work in the church. These gifts are acts of grace. Even as salvation is an act of grace, so are the gifts which we are given. In fact, the word gifts, it comes from a word in the Greek which at its root has the word grace in it. The word grace in Greek is charis. The word gifts is charisma. We are, the gifts that we're given to serve the church are gifts of grace. They are undeserved, they, they are unearned, they are gifts that are given to us for our good and for God's glory. Because God desires to give us more than just an assurance of heaven in our salvation. He desires to give us purpose. He desires to give us direction. He desires to give us a goal. And that goal is rooted in our service to His body, the church. And the gifts are manifestations of God's grace at work in our lives. And Peter says that each one, that is each and every believer, there are no exceptions, every believer at the point of salvation is given a gift from God in order to serve His body. When you look here in verse 10, and he says there, he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. That phrase, employ it in serving, it's just really one word in the Greek, and it, and it comes from a word which means to serve. And it, it's, the same, it's the same root word where we get our word deacons from. The word, the word deacons comes from a, from, a, from a Greek word which means to serve. And it's the same idea here. But Peter's not talking about deacons. Someone say, well, it's the same word as deacons, and he's talking about deacons. No, he's not. Deacons are not in view. This is not the noun form for deacons. This is the verb form for serving. And he says, each and every one of you who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who has been saved by Jesus, needs to employ their gifts of grace for the good of Christ's church. <clears throat> Serve one another. Be focused on the needs that are around you. Understand that Christ has gifted us for service in His church. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will discover a, the beginning of a lengthy section, probably the most complete section in all of Scripture on spiritual gifts. That, that section, it, it runs all the way through from, verse, from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14. And it speaks to us of the, the uh, importance of gifts, the, the uh, implementation of the gifts, the sp specifics of those gifts. But in particular, on, on verse, in verse number 7, we are told that each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, a lot of times when people think of spiritual gifts, they think that their gifts are given to them not simply to serve, but for their own benefit. Some people think that their gifts are given to them so that they can make a name for themselves, so that they can be somebody, so that they can be recognized, that their gifts are given to them uh, for, for their own purposes and their own glory, but that is never the case. Our gifts are never given to us so that we can become the center of attention. 
Our gifts are never given to us so that people will look and say, oh man, look what they can do. The gifts are given to us so that we can say, oh, look what God can do. That's why we're given gifts. And so we, we're given those gifts in order that, as it says in there in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for the common good. And as Peter says in verse number 10 here, that we're given so that we can serve one another. That we are to, as I said, to focus on the body of Christ. Just yesterday, I was having a conversation with a, with a friend of mine, and, and we were just we were talking about life and, and just different aspects of, of and things that were going on, and, and uh, he was talking about um, a conversation that he had had with, with a gentleman earlier um, that day and, and uh, who was uh, sharing some of his experiences of, of traveling around the world and just different things that he um, had encountered. And, and he had made the comment in the course of our conversation, he made this comment, he said, you never experience the fullness of what you learn until you share it with someone else. And, and, and I thought about that, and I, and, and, I, and I told him, I said, you know what? I said, that's exactly how God has wired us because he desires for us to be disciple makers in his church. And so he, he's wired us to grow in our understanding in order that we might share it with others so that the gospel might go forward and, it might, and disciples might be multiplied. That's why we, we're, we can never be content simply to be sponges, to, to soak in teaching. We're meant to, to soak in the teaching of God in order that we might share it with other people. And we don't ever fully realize the blessing of what we're learning until we learn it to the point where we can share it with somebody else. And you don't really truly even know it until you've studied it to the point that you can share it with somebody else. You, there is so much... So much more to living the Christian life and to, to being a disciple than, than simply going to church and listening to sermons and, and reading the Bible. That's all great. But if it stops there, then we're not living our life to the fullest potential for which God has intended us in our walk with Him. He has intended us to be disciple makers. He has intended us to serve His church. You don't have to have a degree from a Bible college or a seminary in order to make disciples. You simply have to be obedient to God's Word and share the things that you're learning with other people. And as you grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word, and as you share that with other people, they will grow also. That is how we are to serve the church. That's one way in which we're to serve the church. Notice here back in verse number 10, he tells us that as, we're, as we receive gifts, we're to employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what a steward is, right? A steward is, is a household slave, if you will, that is put in charge of the affairs of the house. They're put in charge of, of the, uh, the wealth of their master. They're called to to utilize the resources of their master for his good. As we are stewards of God's grace, the manifold grace of God, the variety which is manifested through God's grace, specifically in the gifts that he's given, because there are a variety of gifts manifested through his church, we are, and we are stewards of those gifts, we are called to use those in a way that honors God. To use those in a way that displays God's grace. When we fail to use our gifts in the church, we're not just missing an opportunity to honor God, 
we're failing to carry out our responsibility as stewards of grace. Sometimes I think we wonder why God doesn't bless us more, why He doesn't give us more. And we fail to recognize that we haven't dealt well with what He's already given us. If He's given us gifts for service in the church and we're not serving, how can we expect material blessing when we forsake spiritual blessing? Our first responsibility as stewards of God's grace is to employ those grace gifts that He has given us for the good of His church. And when we employ His grace, we exemplify God's gifts. Verse number 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. That is, as we carry out the gifts that God has given us, we are to do so in such a way that it demonstrates our dependence and our love and our devotion to God. Peter, Peter breaks down the gifts into two very broad categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And he basically, and he, and he tells us, listen, if, if, you, if you have the speaking gifts, do it this way so God is glorified. If you have serving gifts, do it this way so God is glorified. We are to exemplify him, his purposes, his power in the way that we use his gifts. The first instruction is given to those who are given the gift for speaking. That is, those who are given the responsibility to teach and to preach and, and to uh, influence the church of God in, in that manner in which we proclaim God's Word. It's not a reference to the mere ability to address people. There are a lot of people in this world that are great communicators that can, that can uh, take a message and, and can deliver it and influence people and encourage people and, and people will follow them because of the, the gift of speaking that they have. Just because someone has an ability to draw a crowd, just because somebody has an ability to influence people and get them to follow them does not mean that their gifting is from God. It does not mean it's a spiritual gift. It does not even mean that they're doing God's will. There's a lot of people out there, and you don't have to look too far to find out who they are, but there's a lot of people out there that can build a following because they're good at what they say. They're good at what they do. And, but God's not concerned so much about how well I speak as his messenger. He's more concerned about my faithfulness in speaking his word. And anybody who's given the responsibility to teach his word or proclaim his word or share his word is given those gifts to address people. It's not for the sake, as we said before, it's not for the sake of lifting up their name and making them somebody, but for lifting up God's name and for encouraging him. And so he says here, he says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God or the oracles of God. That is, that we are to, as, as preachers and teachers of God's Word, for those of you that have been gifted in those areas, our responsibility is not simply to try and be eloquent. Our responsibility is not simply to try and be persuasive. Our, our responsibility is not 
to think in some way that we are actually giving revelation from God, but that we are declaring what God has already revealed in a clear and understandable way. That is that we have such a respect for the Word of God, that we have such a a, a humbling experience before God and understanding the responsibility that is laid on us for proclaiming His truth, that we wouldn't try and make it about us, but that we would always keep the focus on Him. That we would always keep the focus on His Word, and that we would proclaim His Word in such a way not to manipulate it to fit our own circumstances, not to compromise it in order to be pleasing to people, but to declare its truths in a way that will honor His Word. You know, you see people that get deceived. I mean, how many cults in our nation's history have come about because people were smooth talkers and had persuasive words and they build a following around them and and even today, I was reading an article just last week, um, and I don't remember who the guy was because it was just one of those things, I kind of saw the snippet of it, and I was like, oh my word, I can't believe that's happening. But it was, it was this guy who's a, a preacher of some kind, and some of his followers are declaring that he's Jesus in the flesh. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, people just, I mean, we have no discernment. We just get swept away. And, and he's, he's clearly not following this directive from God's word to speak as he's speaking the utterances of God because otherwise he would correct those who are following him. There's so many aspects to this direction. We need to be very careful for those that have been called and gifted to be elders, leaders, teachers in the church to not allow God's gifting in our life to lead us to a place of pride. Paul gives that warning to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.6, speaking of the qualifications for elders, he says that they should not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. James warns in chapter 3, verse 1 of his book, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Those who preach and teach God's word are given a great responsibility. And Peter reminds them of that in this text. He says, don't just speak from your wisdom. Don't speak from your understanding but speak from an understanding of my word and my ways, by my spirit, for my glory. That is the call that we are given here, that whoever is to speak is to do so as as speaking the utterances of God. And then for those whose gifts are not speaking, but are in the realm of serving, it says they are to do so by the strength which God supplies. That is, you don't have to serve in your own strength. You know, a lot of people don't like to serve in the church, not because they don't know what they could do, but because either they think it's difficult or it's inconvenient, or they just don't know what they're supposed to do or how they're supposed to do it. Listen, it's not up to you to do it in your own strength. It's up to you to be obedient to what God's called you to do and then trust that he's going to empower you to carry it out. And that sounds really simple when I say it. It's a little bit harder to carry it out. And I understand that, but a lot of times we just get in the habit of making excuses of why we can't serve. 
But God has gifted each and every one of us for a particular place of service in His church. If you are physically unable to perform certain tasks in service for the church, then you can be, you might be called at that season in your life to be a teacher. You might be called in that season of your life to be just a prayer warrior. You might be called to be just an encourager. But there are always ways in which you can serve the body of Christ. We're not, we should never be content just to sit in the body of Christ and not be contributing to the health of that body. Christian service isn't necessarily something that we're supposed to be comfortable with. Because a lot of times what happens is we get, we get into areas of service in, in which we're comfortable. We, we like, well, I, can't, I can do that. And we do it in our own strength, and we might do it very well in our own strength for a while. But if we're not doing it in the strength which God supplies, then ultimately God's not getting the glory we are. And so we need to be very careful about how we approach our service in the church. And I'm not saying that you can't do things that you're good at and things that are easy. You can. There's always things that, are, that need to be done. But we should always be growing in our service. We should always be looking for that next thing that we can do. We all should be seeking to step outside of what's comfortable in order that God might be glorified in our service. And I just, I just want to say uh, a word here um, related to this. I, I was exceedingly pleased with, our, with the service that I saw this last week amongst our people. We had uh, over 40, close to 45, I think 45 of our people um, that were involved in some aspect of our fall festival and, and getting that um, going and, and carried out. And, and I was just ecstatic. With, with that service and um, I think that was that's wonderful and then we had some other things happening even after the fall fest and and I got to work alongside some of our other church members who just have servants hearts and I just appreciated that time as well and and it's just it's so good to work amongst God's people to, to serve together but we need to be careful about not being comfortable in our service, but rather to be challenged in our service to God. I was inspired years ago by a uh, phrase that came out of a sermon by a missionary by the name of William Carey, who before setting out to be the first Protestant missionary in India, had delivered a sermon in which he told the missionary society that we need to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And I think that's really a lot of what's missing in the church today. First, our expectations are too low. We don't expect God to do a whole lot. We, we, we tend to think in terms of only what we can do and not in what God can do. And, and we, our expectations of God have gone way down. And we need to expect God to do great things. And if we expect God to do great things, then we will attempt great things for him. Carrie had left, uh, Carrie lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s, left for India with his family and a, and a partner, um, got to India. Things were a lot harder than he anticipated. Um, cost of living was a lot higher than he thought it was going to be. His uh, partner abandoned him. Went back home, left Carrie there with his family. Carrie's moving around trying to find work to help support the mission and, 
and keep things going. And in the midst of his difficulty and struggling, he wrote this. He says, I am in a strange land, no Christian friend, a large family, and nothing to supply their wants. But he also said this, well, I have God and his word is sure. See, he clinged to that expect great things from God and attempt great things for God throughout his service. Kerry served in the country of India for seven years before he saw the first Christian convert. We get upset if a new pastor comes in and we don't have new people coming in the next week. Seven years Kerry served before the first convert came to Christ. Because he was convinced that he was doing what God wanted him to do. And he never had the impact that he intended as far as making converts. I think in his, the total time that he was, which he spent the rest of his life serving in India, and I think a, a total of 700 converts in his lifetime, which is still pretty amazing when you think about it. But the work that he did in reforming the society in which he worked, the work that he did in translating the Bible into the native languages, the work that he did in, in impacting that environment has lasted for over 200 years. His, his work is still being carried on, being carried on there, and the impact that he has had has just been phenomenal. And if you ever get the chance to read about William Carey, I would, I would greatly encourage it. Um, I just want to start talking about him some more. I did a paper on him back in seminary, and he's just, just a fascinating guy. But we need to remember that our own service to God should be an expectation of what he can do so that we're not afraid to step out of our comfort zone and, and to do those things which maybe we're not comfortable with, but we recognize are necessary and good and helpful. God hasn't called us to easiness, but to faithfulness and to increasing trust in Him. So we must use our gifts in a such a way that not only that our gifts are recognized, but more importantly that our love and dependence on God is recognized so that He will be glorified. Which is the final exhortation in here in verse 11 in the second half. He says, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The motivation for our service in the church must be God's glory alone. We must be seeking to glorify our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is our mandate. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me ask you something. If we're to eat and drink to the glory of God, I mean the most mundane and simple things in life, how much more should our service to His church be done in such a way that God is glorified through it? I mean, if, if we're to glorify God in, in, in the simple things, then certainly things that really matter, like serving His church, ought to be done with the motivation that God will be glorified through it. That we're not doing it for our own recognition. We're not doing it so that people will think much of us, but we're doing it because we love Christ and we want Him 
to be glorified and we want His church to grow. We want His church to be healthy. We want His, his church to, be magne- to magnify His grace and we want the Gospel to go forth with power. That is only accomplished when God's people get busy doing God's work. We must have as our primary motivation the glory of God. Because God's glory is the primary reason He does anything. When you go back and you look at Scripture and you look at the creation of the universe and you look at the the setting apart of Israel as a nation and you look at God's redemptive plan for mankind and, and over and over again, the theme of God's revelation to us is His own glory. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem mankind to make a people for himself in order that he might be glorified. Notice what Peter says here. He says, so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. It is through our relationship with Christ that we are given gifts to serve. It is through his spirit which we are empowered to carry out those gifts. It is because of Jesus Christ and through him that God can be glorified through our obedience as we seek to serve him faithfully. Because we know that the end of all things is near, we should not despair. We should not be discouraged. We should not be overcome with the difficulties in life because they are only temporary. But we ought to and need to continue to remember that we need to pray purposefully. That we need to love intentionally. And that we need to serve Christ and His church faithfully so that He will be exalted so that Christ will receive glory. For the glory belongs to Him. I love that statement that Peter closes with. He says, For to Him belong glory and dominion forever. Glory belongs to Christ. We need to serve for His glory. Dominion also belongs to Christ. You know what that means? That means He's in charge. And we're not. I think we like to be in control. A lot of things we do, we, like, we try to do because we like to be in control of things. We're not in control. Dominion belongs to the Lord. We need to surrender to Him and to His purposes and to His desires in order that His church might be strong, that His gospel might go forward and might influence the world around us. We are called to service in Christ's church for Christ's glory not to have our felt needs met or our preferences catered to. I think a lot of times in our culture we have created an idol to humanity. We like to bow down to the preferences of people. We like to give in to the desires and and to the wishes that people have, compromising oftentimes our mission to exalt Christ. We like to make things easy for people. Make it as easy as possible. You should read some of the church growth books. Make it as easy as possible. And then we're surprised when people don't want to do difficult things. Following Christ isn't easy. The scripture never said it was easy. this This is as easy as it gets. Repent and believe. That's the easiest part of following Christ. From that point on, it gets difficult. 
Repenting and believing. Getting saved is easy. Following Christ is hard. And he tells us that. Because he doesn't want us to do it in his own strength. God's not glorified by things that we do in our own strength. God's glorified by us trusting in him and leaning on him and letting his strength and his power and his presence being seen in us. We've been saved to serve. That is the task before us. So the question for you this morning, what are you doing to serve the body of Christ? What gifts has God given you for that purpose? And how are you going to obey that call to serve? Let us pray. Father, You've done so much for us through your Son. And Lord, so many times we get distracted by the difficulties of life. We get distracted by so many things, Lord, that are going on around us. And we need to be reminded, Lord, that you have saved us with the desire to use us for the sake of your church and for the glory of your name. Lord, let us not be complacent in our service. Let us not simply seek what we can get out of the church, Lord, but give us a heart to know what we can give for the sake of the church. And Lord, move our hearts in obedience to your word. Give us your direction, your wisdom, your understanding, so that we know, Lord, how you want to use us. And then bring us to the place of submission so that we would surrender to you all that we have and all that we are for the glory of your name, for the building of your church, and for the spread of your gospel. And we ask this in the precious name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me. As we have our time of invitation this morning, I just want you to continue to ask yourself those questions. Just reflect on what the Lord might be speaking to you and how you might be able to serve. And what, how has He gifted you? And how can you be connected to His church? And how can you help? And I just want you to talk to Him about it. If, you want, if you'd like to pray with me this morning, I'd love, to, I'd love to pray with you. I'll be down front. If you just are convicted this morning about your lack of service or, or maybe something else, maybe the Lord has convicted you in a different way this morning. The altar's open. You can come forward and pray. You can pray right where you are. God hears the prayers of His children. But just listen to God's leading this morning and respond. Supreme devotion to serve.
serve him with gladness enter his courts with song to our creator true praises belong great is his mercy wonderful is his name we gladly serve him his great love proclaim serve the lord with gladness thankful all the while for his tender mercies for his loving smile blessed truth enduring always just the same we will serve with gladness and praise his name serve him with gladness enter his courts with song to our creator true praises belong great is his mercy wonderful is his name we gladly serve him Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to conform us into the very image of Christ, that you would encourage us in our service, that you would continue to strengthen this body, that we would glorify the name of Jesus Christ, and that when people look to Northside Baptist Church, they would know that you are amongst us. Thank you, Lord for all that you have done and all that you've promised to do. Be with us this day, Lord, as we go out from here. Continue to convict our hearts and to lead us in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I ask you to be seated for just a minute.